Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. This is News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Aidan O'Brien was working as a personal trainer in Limerick when a job led him onto the cruise ships where he began to speak to groups of people about mindset. Today he joins me to talk about how even the most successful people have a guide or a mentor to nudge them in the right direction and how he's not exactly comfortable with the label of life coach. And Jackie Taff was a young teenager in hospital for a minor procedure when an incident led her to carry trauma in her life for many years. She joins me in studio today to talk about how she worked through it and why she was ready to document her story in her book, Inspire, Heal, Empower. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I got the first night away in a hotel, child free since the pandemic. So that was nice for a change. It was my wedding anniversary and I do think it's important to mark occasion. It doesn't have to involve spending copious amounts of money, of course, but sometimes it's nice to treat yourself too. Something I have been certainly guilty of in the past is putting all my weight of achievement into what I do for a living and that's great but it's only part of who we are and I think sometimes we forget to be proud of personal achievements, of our relationships, romantic or otherwise, our friendships, our family and to prioritise celebrating those wins in our life. And I was back on the beach this week for another full moon gathering. I think it'll be the last one. The next one is Halloween weekend and it's always chilly around there. It was led by a guy called Paddy Douglas and he starts with a meditation of sorts and a focus on breathing and then into the sea in a group. And it was something he said about the power of your breath and checking in with yourself that resonated with me and reminded me really of how important it is to take a few moments every day to check in with yourself. And the reason I know I've spoken about the mindfulness course I I did before, the reason we kind of focus on the breath and coming down into the body is because that's always present. Our head can be focused on the past, thinking about what we want to have for dinner, thinking about, you know, what we want to do later. Whereas when you breathe, you're in the, the present moment. And he said It's kind of like the analogy of the oxygen mask on the plane. If you look after yourself first, you're better able to look after others. So if you're taking time to look after yourself in the day, it'll ripple out to the people around you. And I kind of had a moment where I thought, why am I waking up in the morning before the kids and flicking through my phone for sometimes up to 20 minutes or longer and then getting up? Why am I taking the time? So for the last few mornings, I have done that. I mean, you don't have to, you know, go full monk on the whole situation, but it's taken a minute, whether it's just sitting with your cup of tea, no matter what it is. And it actually has made a massive difference. I even managed to cycle the kids to school for the first time since they went back. And that's not to say I won't slip back next week and it'll always be plain sailing, but it's definitely something I would recommend. And I'm not sure how I feel about The darker evenings earlier, getting out to move the body will have to be more organised as we move into autumn. You can't necessarily decide at a balmy 8pm the evening that you're going to head for a walk on the beach. But hopefully those leaves turning golden and that crisp autumn air will entice us out a little earlier. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Aidan O'Brien has spent the last 14 years public speaking, coaching and mentoring all over the world, guiding people through personal development, entrepreneurship and leadership. 
He believes the right question will always guide you to the right answer and that sometimes we need someone else to ask those questions of us. And Aidan O'Brien joins me in studio now. Hello, Aidan. How are you? Hi, Claire. I'm fantastic. Thank you for asking. You are home here in Ireland uh, at the moment because you're a bit of a, a globe trotter. What's it been like to be back? It's been good, actually. It's the longest I've spent in Ireland in probably about five years. So it's been interesting. It was a good summer. It was, it was, I was home for uh, two weeks last year. I only lasted one week <laughs> and I got out of here again. But uh, this year has been nice. Yeah, it's been great. Feels good this year, actually. Does it make a difference with all the kind of travel bans and, and restrictions when you can't come back? Does the green, green grass of home look all the sweeter? I suppose it would, I'd imagine, but I had no issue with that. I was able to, I was still in and out. You know, once you had your test, your negative PCR, you could come in and out. I think a lot of people were kind of afraid to do that. Um, and obviously, if they had limitation with work, that would be a major reason why they couldn't. But I was lucky in that sense that I kind of still had a bit of mobility. So I didn't feel that restricted to come back, you know, so. Well, you're a man of no limits and we'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> but can we go back to how you first became a, a life coach and a, and a mentor? You started out as a personal trainer, is that right? Yeah, so my background was health and wellness in Limerick. So I was working in some gyms and ended up running a gym there in Limerick for a while. And, you know, it was about 2008, 2009. Ireland was tough at that time. You know, and right in that recession, it was tough. And I remember a woman came into the gym and she owned a beauty college and she said, I have 30 girls I'm looking to train. Can someone do it? And she, <laughs> I said, I'll do it. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go, you know. 30 girls, no problem. And I said, so what do these girls do after they qualify? And she said, a lot of the girls go working on the cruise ships. I said, cruise ships? Tell me about that. So she had, she had done that in, in her past. And she gave me the card and I ended up working on Royal Caribbean and Carnival. So two months later, pretty much, I was on a cruise ship. I was traveling around the world and I was teaching seminars. I was, so I was doing personal training. I was doing some classes, but I was teaching seminars on health, wellness. And I was into the mindset stuff, a lot of that then, anyway, for myself. And I just started kind of, that kind of came into my talks kind of organically when I was talking about health, wellness, fitness. And, you know, I traveled around the world, all over Caribbean and Mediterranean on the ships. And, and that's what kind of kicked it off. So was it standing up in front of people talking about how we can change our life that, that made you think of this? When did you make that step into making it more efficient and training? Yeah, so that's interesting because the first time I spoke on stage was my brother's wedding. I was best man, I was 19. And I remember I was so nervous um, all day during the wedding. I only had one dinner at the wedding. <laughs> and you know yourself, an Irish wedding, we usually have this, the seconds. I was so nervous I could only have one. But I remembered, <laughs> I remember that night, I, I, like out of 300 people at the wedding, it was a big wedding, about 200 came up to me and said, you should be on stage. And I remember thinking the whole night, doing what? Because I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know? So I said, I'm not that funny. I'm not going to make a stand-up comedian. I can't sing. But the health and wellness stuff in, on the ships, you know, as I said, the, the mindset stuff, the energy stuff kind of came through and in 2010 I made a decision I read a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad phenomenal book and it talks about you know you working for money or money working for you and I made a decision then to go out as an entrepreneur so I didn't want to work for somebody else I didn't want to be stuck you know and 40 hours a week and not being able to travel I love to travel and that book kind of gave me the courage to go out and, and start on my own so I started running my own events then speaking events on, on health wellness mindset and even though the ship was technically a health and wellness position, it was really a sales job. So we had 4,000 guests a week and I had to teach seminars every day and then 
create such good energy content in the seminars that people would book in for a one-to-one and then obviously prescribe a product based on their needs. So it was really a sales job. So I really learned a lot about sales and stuff in that time. So in 2010, I made a decision then, okay, let me, I can teach sales, I can teach speaking, I can teach health and wellness mindset. And I just started. I didn't really know how I was going to go about it. I just said yes and then said I'll figure it out the rest out later. So when you say that it was a sales job, does that not mean that it's still a sales job? I don't know what's happened to me in, in recent years, but okay. I've got this cynicism around anything like this. I don't know mm-hmm. what's happened to me. I was all into it in my 20s. I spent my 40s bouncing around a place in London with Tony Robbins. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm like, why can't we just be who we are right now? Why can't we just be happy with what we have? Why are we always pushing people to be the best they can be, which is almost an assumption that they're not the best already. And why does there have to be a, a, a price tag sure. aboard it? I'd agree with that. I mean, I think everybody has the answers within themselves completely. Everybody, whether it's Tony Robbins or anybody that we look up to as some sort of authority in, in that space, personal development or self-mastery, everybody has access to the same tools, the same power. I guess it's your, first of all, your intention to look for those. I think a lot, you know, a lot of people aren't looking. They don't don't know there's other answers there. They they just think the same patterns of thinking because we're conditioned. You know, our brain doesn't really care if we're happy. Our brain cares about saving energy. It cares about survival. So our thoughts are 90% the same every single day. So, you know, it's very challenging to get it out of ourselves. Even myself as a coach, as a mentor, I have coaches and mentors because I can't think of everything. And the voices inside my head are, are is me and it's my identity that I've created. So it's very hard to get objective clarity in that. So I think that's why we look outside because it's challenging to look within ourselves. The second point is, you know, you say making an assumption that people are not happy. I always say if you're happy, you're winning. You know, really, if you're happy, you're winning. Keep doing what you're doing. I mean, that's the goal. Like everything we are seeking, no matter what it is, if it's a job, a partner, to live somewhere sunny, whatever it is, it's ultimately happiness we're looking for. Really. So if you're happy, you're winning. Unfortunately, not a lot of people are happy. They're not truly happy. And sometimes they find happiness in the wrong things, but it's not even happiness. It's more pleasures. It's shopping. It's drinking. It's whatever else. That comes, these are, you know, food, TV. These are all habits that are they're pleasures, and people mistake them for happiness, and they become dependent on these pleasures. So I think when you can look within... And be honest with yourself and say, okay, what I'm doing isn't really working. Um, then it's it's good to have that outside help and price tag. I mean, we'd have to pay for anything of value is worth paying for if it gets to results. So, you know, that's business also. So, And do you think we place a lot of our happiness in our careers or in our work or a lot of our identity in what we do instead of who we are? And we forget about the other achievements in the other areas of our lives absolutely i think everybody forgets about all the good stuff they've done anyway you know we're so quick to criticize ourselves we're so quick to judge ourselves we live in a very much a comparison-based world today especially with social media everything is comparison you know one thing i do with my group and my mentorship is we have this thing of owning wins sharing your wins every day because if, if you're not sharing wins, either number one, you're not doing the work, you're not creating the wins in your life, whatever they may be, or number two, you're just not owning them. And that's not good enough either. So we can't be afraid to pat ourselves on the back and celebrate our wins every every single day. That's something we, we absolutely have to do. 
So do you think most people know what they want in life? Yes, as you say, it's great to be guided by a coach or, or an expert. Mm. But ultimately, people know the life that they want for themselves, but it's self-limiting beliefs that, that hold them back. You, you'd think so. I think a lot of people, and I've, you know, I've literally worked with thousands of people over the last 11, 12 years and from all over the world. And it's, we have a lot of the same patterns all over the world. I think a lot of people don't actually have clarity on their future. They don't have a vision. They get caught in a, in a cycle of, of comfort. You know, people run away from the fear. They run away from their darkness. They, it's like having a thorn in your arm. You, you spend your whole life building your life as not to bump off the thorn. You know, it's a great, Michael Singer's an author. He's a great book called The Untethered Soul. And that's what he talks about. You know, instead of dealing with the thorn, feeling it, acknowledging it and healing it, we build our lives around not feeling that pain, not feeling that fear, not feeling that rejection. So I think a lot of people don't know what they actually truly want. And it's amazing the feedback I got from some of my clients. And again, I have, I have people who are CEOs of companies. I have entrepreneurs. I have coaches as well on my programs. And one of the, the main or the most consistent feedback, what they all love the most is to say, oh my God, I never realized I didn't have a vision. I didn't realize how unclear I was. You know, so I think people lack clarity. I think they don't know who they are. I, I think they don't value themselves or what they can bring to the world enough. I think they get stuck in jobs or careers that pays the bills. And I think that's where the anxiety, the stress, the mental health, all the stuff is, is coming from. And do you think we assume when we look at someone who's successful in, in whatever that means to us, mm -hmm. that they've had this straight linear trajectory where there's been no failure, where there's been no struggle, where there's been no hardship and that we need to embrace that a little bit more and know that failure along the way is all just part of it. A hundred percent. And I mean, you see these quotes on Instagram and all this about the entrepreneur life and these things. A lot of people, they love sharing these quotes, but they don't actually feel it. They don't live it. Right. Failure is so common among successful people. I would say that the more successful you are, the more failure you've had. And I mean that. And I know a lot of successful people and they have more stuff, more crap going on than the people who don't have the success. I think you have to. That's just part of it. And again, I think a lot of people avoid that, you know, because it's scary and you feel bad about yourself at times. But that's the entrepreneurial journey. And when I say entrepreneurial, by the way, to me, that word means responsibility. So you can be in a career and still have an entrepreneurial mindset. You can be looking for the promotion. You can be looking to be a leader within your position. I think it's about taking responsibility for yourself. And in life where our soul is happiest when we're progressing, when we're growing, and I think, you know, to continually progress, we have to overcome these challenges. And most of the challenges are actually within ourselves. I encourage people all the time to be a student of yourself. Everybody keeps looking externally. They keep looking outside. The challenges are within. And when you start realizing that and you start facing that, the outside world literally becomes much easier to deal with. So can we not just coast along in our comfort zone, Aidan? <clears throat> you can do what you want. <laughs> absolutely. This is the thing. You can absolutely do what you want. Everybody can. And a lot of people don't even realize that. I think, you know, I think a lot of people feel still some sort of debt or responsibility based on their legacy from their parents, based on the environment, some sort of social path to follow. And, you know, I don't think a lot of, or enough people ask themselves, what do I really want? Like, who am I? And what do I really want? You know, just, I call it identity without awareness. I think so many people have fallen into an identity that's almost given to them 
in some form or another, whether through childhood or being a teenager, through college, through their environment, through their parents, that if you can actually stop and, and start to do some reflection on yourself, be a student of yourself, ask yourself some new questions. The right question is always the answer. This is, you know, once you ask yourself, that's what coaching is so powerful. Coaching is not telling you anything. That's the difference between coaching and mentoring. Mentoring is me teaching you what I'm an expert in. Coaching is asking you questions to bring your expertise out. That's a very big difference. Will you stay with us over the break? Because I feel we've scratched <laughs> the surface and now we need to know how we navigate through all this. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. I'm talking to Aidan O'Brien, who is a life coach and mentor. You're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna. You're very welcome back to Alive and Kicking here on News Talk with Claire McKenna, where I'm joined by Aidan O'Brien and you're a coach, a mentor and a transformation specialist. I said life coach. Um, the, 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 you'd, you'd prefer not to have that title. There's a bit of stigma attached to it now, you think? There can be. There can be. And even before I came and I was having breakfast, I got I was talking, which always seems to happen, the waiter, waitress, and she said, are you a motivational speaker? And you know, I always say, I'm not. You know, I think motivation is a byproduct when you start to understand who you are, where you're going, when you start to figure out your path. It, it is motivational because you're pulled by that vision for your future, right? So I think as a life coach, well, even in Ireland or in other countries, you know, a lot, a lot of people have an assumption of what a life coach is. And I think technically it's correct, but I just think people don't understand it. They put it in a box. So, yeah, when I say the transformation specialist, it's because I can help you transform because I just understand from working with thousands of people for so many years what's needed. And for myself and my journey, what's needed to transform. And it's, start, it's you. So that's why I prefer transformation or breakthrough or performance coaching even. Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter any of it to title, right? It's mm. all, it doesn't really matter. But it can actually hinder people from taking a step or even from inquiring or for, or for people who are just curious. They make an assumption based on... And this is a challenge with a lot of things in life. I think there are assumptions. And where do you think we're at in Ireland with being open to this kind of thing? I mean, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, therapy was seen as something that just the Americans... Did and that was fine for them, but it's self-indulgent and ridiculous. And I think yeah. we've opened our minds a whole lot more to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and any event that I have been through that's been around wellness, anything from meditating in sand dunes to sea dipping, there are throngs of people who are looking to connect in this way. So things are changing. Absolutely. And, you know, especially with the mental health awareness in Ireland now, you know, that's such a big topic. More people are talking about it and it's fantastic. I think if people, people wait, unfortunately, till something bad happens, till a trauma happens before they take action. You know, we see this all the time with people's health. Um, in terms of the, the therapy or the counselling and all these things, they all have their place. And it, it's fantastic. And I think, I think people should have an open mind. Again, they should be a student. They should be asking questions, what's for them? I love coaching because I believe it, it, it uses the past as a school to learn from, not as a place to live in. I think some other therapies can stay a bit longer in the past. I don't think you need to. I think coaching is, is very present moment focused. So we use the past and especially when you combine it with mentoring and you look at the present and you see, where am I going? And you put a plan. It's very much objective driven. So it's about moving forward because people avoid, they stay too long in the past and then it affects their present and then they don't create a future. They kind of live by default instead of by design. So obviously we don't have a lot of time to to delve in and people kind of meet you on an individual basis. But 
where do people go wrong or where can you give people advice to, to move forward? Is there something simple we can discuss today that people could take with them? I mean, the first thing, like I said a while ago, is just asking some new questions. You know, just ask yourself some new questions. Like, first of all, what do I want? You know, where do I want to go? What do I want my life to look like? And, you know, I did always one-to-one or live speaking events. Now I do group mentorship because it's very powerful, the, the, the dynamic in, in a group and people learn from each other. It's very empowering. And but we want so much now. I mean, we want to be mm-hmm. the best parents, the best in our relationship yeah. or to have a relationship. We want to have great careers. We want to have great social lives. Yeah. We want to be involved in being fit and strong. We want to be sitting on the top of a mountain with a yogi. Like, that. we just want And you can it have all. all of it, Claire. You can have all of it, but it starts with getting clarity on who you are. Again, it's the identity. What's your current... You'll, always, you'll never outperform your identity. You know, there's a great book from the 60s, Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And he was the first guy I really know talking about the self-image, the theatre of the mind. You know, you, you have... Uh, your life is a movie and you're the main star in that movie but it's it's the movie you're playing in your mind every single day about yourself about what you're capable of about your outcomes about what you deserve your worthiness your qualities your your faults your shortcomings it's this movie in your mind and it's like what part of the where are you staying the most mm, and this, it's a muscle that you can flex and work on this is on. the point you can build it so you said all these things we want but it starts by just understanding who you are first then the next step is you know being kinder to yourself we judge ourselves so much. We're critical of ourselves. And again, what we're doing is we're pushing that emotion away. And since we're children, we're pushing traumas down into us, into the body. And, you know, this, the start is when you become more self-aware, you start to bring that out. And yeah, you might say it's uncomfortable. Yes, it is uncomfortable having to face that part of you. But living in denial of it, living stressed, having all these other habits to try and to cover up that emotional trauma, that's way more uncomfortable not living your potential, not living where you want to live. You know, people always say to me, oh, you live in nice, sunny places. Such a... I said, listen, you can too. You know, you can, do, you can do whatever you want to do if you decide to do it. So we, we all have way more power inside of ourselves. And it's, people say, oh, yeah, it's just all these positivity, every stuff. But it's real. <laughs> it really is real. You know, it's just about making a decision. And, and John Maxwell talks about living with intention. Like, what's your intention for your day, for your week, your month, your year, your life? That's, that's all you have to start with is an intention. What are the three C's then? Clarity, confidence, communication. What? How do we bring them into our lives in a better way? For me, on my group mentorship, I was looking for what's the theme? What do people need to get from... We all have to do a gap analysis of where we are to where we want to be. And there's always some people's gap is bigger than the others. It depends on what you've done to this point. The first thing is clarity. You have to know who you are, what you want, where you're going. You have to create a vision that pulls you. A lot of times people are trying to push themselves through the sludge. It's They're always swimming against the current. They're always pulling life uphill by a rope over their shoulder. And that's because of lack of vision. When you have a vision for your life, it's like it inoculates you from distractions. Because this world is so full of distractions today that everything has taken us left and right instead of being focused within, first of all, and then on our future. So clarity is so important. I think this is a game changer for people at all stages of life. When you have clarity, then you get confidence because now you know a little bit about who you are, what you want. You're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to act in a way that's not congruent. You see, again, going back to the brain, you don't want to look crazy to yourself. So you'll always act in a way that's congruent with your beliefs about what you're capable of, your self-image. Like I said, you'll never outperform your identity. You'll always... That's why some people 
you know, they might sign up for a run, a half marathon or a 10K, and they'll train for three months and they'll do it, and then they'll never run again because their identity wasn't as someone who runs. They just had a goal. They just had a goal to actually go and do something, but it wasn't their identity. Some people say, I'll eat healthy. They eat healthy for a while, but they fall back because their identity, their self-image is not someone who eats healthy. So when you start to reprogram that, you get confidence. Another thing about confidence is actually doing what you say you'll do. So a lot of people lack confidence today in Ireland and everywhere else. They lack confidence because they say, I'm going to get healthy. They say, I'm going to save my money. They say, I'm going to be better in my relationship. And then they don't keep their promises to themselves. So then the self-esteem drops because you know that you're not staying loyal to your word that you made for yourself. So if you want to be more confident today, start keeping your word for your, to yourself. And then the third thing is communication. And there's kind of two levels to the communication or two aspects. The first is your communication with yourself. And I do a lot of work on this with people on the reprogramming, rewiring the thoughts, the emotions and the language. You know, people, especially in Ireland, how are you? Not bad. Not bad. That's the best we are in Ireland. Not bad. Grand. You know, and you think you take it for granted. We don't realize the power. And this goes back. And even I was in Austria this weekend talking to some friends who were very aware and we had great talks about the power of language. When you start to look at language and what it means, like language words are vibrations, they're frequencies. They affect us. They affect, and even on my program, we, we tell people some words to to replace, like need. You don't need, you want. There's a different energy from needing and wanting. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. So our words are how we speak to ourselves are very, very important. How we think and then how we feel our emotions. This is the thing. How we think and how we speak affects our emotions. And if I could give something today, and it's, and it's nothing to do with religion or being religious, but we think about prayers or affirmations. People think it's the words that are the prayer. It's not. The words supposed to put you in the feeling. The words do create the feeling. The feeling is the prayer. The feeling is the energy. And that's going back to the law of attraction. People think I just have to think the thoughts. That's only surface deep. You need to feel the feeling in your body. And that's what a great vision for your future will do. If you want to have a new business, if you want a new job, new relationship, new quality of life, once you start to imagine that and engage all your senses and feel it in your body, that's what creates change. And when do you know you're flogging a dead horse? What about when the business isn't working out, when the relationship isn't working out? Mm. What about that side of things? Um, yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to clarity. When you know you have to make adjustments, you have to be open, be adaptable. This is so key. And again, when you're comfortable in yourself and who you truly are and where you're going, you can be adaptable. You have to be willing to adjust the sales, right? I mean, at the end of the day, as Jim Rohn, my mentor, my spirit animal, Jim Rohn, some of the listeners might know, he says, it's not the setting, it's not the wind that determines your destination. It's how you set your sail. And we have the ability every day to change our sails, to change our direction. So I'd encourage everybody to ask themselves, what direction am I headed? What's the destination? And if you don't make a change now, I can tell you what your destination is going to be. It's going to be like it is now. And it's going to be like it was five years ago, 10 years ago. It's going to continue. Because again, we become pro more predictable. We, we start to program and create patterns. So just ask yourself again, what direction am I, am I headed? And if, if you hit bumps in the road where it's a relationship, again, it's just about asking the right questions and feeling and, and not, not, you know, getting caught up in the thoughts, the chatter in the mind. But what does it feel like? Again, some people might be laughing and think it sounds cheesy, but this is, you know, the body, the body doesn't lie. 
Well, it's early on a Sunday morning and I hope people are setting their <laughs> sails but taking their time in doing it. Aidan, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much. If you want to find out more, you can go to theaidanobrien.com. There's power in that, the. You're right about the language. There is. And do you know where that comes from, <laughs> funnily enough? Because there's another Aidan O'Brien in the country. You might have heard of him. I have. And the amount of people in my whole life ask me, are you any relation to Aidan O'Brien? And I said, no, he's no relation to me. <laughs> and he had the theaidanobrien.com, so I had to make an adjustment and say theaidanobrien.com. Well, two very successful men, it has to be said. Aidan O'Brien, the Aidan O'Brien. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, Claire, for having me. Appreciate it. For more, you can go to theaidenobrien.com or you'll find him on Instagram at Aiden O'Brien Official. Coming up after the break, Jackie Taff on how to heal after trauma. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Brene Brown said, owning our own story can be hard, but not as difficult as spending our lives running away from it. Jackie Taff has this quote on her website and they are certainly words that she has taken on board. Over the last couple of years, Jackie felt ready to face what happened to her as a young teen and she joins me in studio now with her book, Inspire, Heal, Empower. Hello, Jackie. How are you? Well, Claire, thank you so much for having me. And we have your lovely book here in front of us that you wrote through lockdown. I did. I started it not as a book, Claire. I started it as journal entries. Because that's, I truly believe, when we take our thoughts out of our head and we put them on paper and we reflect and we look at them, we shift the power of them. So I would journal a lot. And for some reason, I started a journal entry around the event that had happened to me in 1984. And as I journaled, it just became stronger and more apparent that it wasn't just journal entries. And I had a real sense and an intuition and a feeling. And that's why I say it in the book that it had to be shared and it had to be put in to book form. So three years ago, I never thought I would be sitting here with you in studio talking about Inspire, Heal and Empower. Well, can we go back then to, to the incident you've alluded to there in 1984? You were 15. You went into hospital for something fairly, fairly small. Tell us a bit about what happened. I had fallen down the stairs when I was very small, my aunt's stairs, and hit the front door head on. And within three weeks of that, my eyes started to roll. And they, some call it a, sca- a squint and some call, some call it a cast. So I had a cast from a very young age. And so therefore I had to wear glasses. And... At the age of 15, I was sick of wearing the glasses. Now, what I didn't realise at that time was that even though I would have had this operation, it wasn't going to help my sight. My, st- my sight would have been still affected because I had been wearing glasses for years. But I wanted the operation done. I said it to my mum. She went ahead and she organised it and I saw somebody privately. And then he did these operations in, in hospital. So I was admitted on the 22nd of October 1984 to the hospital and within two hours of admission around half one in the day in a semi-private room with another girl of the same age a person a doctor dressed as a doctor presented himself at the door he proceeded to tell me that he was there to examine me and I said yes thinking it was my eye and when he pulled the blinds around and proceeded to tell me that he was there to do an internal examination now in that moment and I talk about this in the book, I did say, what's this got to do with my eye? And he said it had to be done. 
And so he proceeded to do the internal and a breast check concurrently. And when that was done, he proceeded to do the girl in the bed next to me. So kind of silence reigns, shock reigns on reflection now as, as I talk to you as, as a mature adult and a set of coping strategies and skills kicked in in that moment. And it enabled me to go on, have a fairly positive life, a very good career, a wonderful husband, a beautiful daughter. Yet, always in the background, my 15-year-old self would remind me and say, you know that was wrong. And my husband, when I would say to him, you know, was it wrong? Even though I knew in my heart instinctively it was wrong. He said, of course it was wrong. What's, the, what's an eye operation got to do with that? So I went on, I lived my life and in 2020, these journal entries just took on a, a life of their own, to be perfectly honest. And I found myself really, I was ready. I wasn't ready until then. I was ready to start to look at this, to dissect it, to see what it was that had took me to where I, to where I had arrived. And probably my training, like Claire, I'm a life coach, a mind coach, uh, a hypnotherapist. Um, I volunteer as a bereavement counsellor and I understand how I work now. I understand my thoughts. I understand how my thoughts affect how I feel and how my feelings affect my actions. And I was really self-reflecting and going back on, wow, Jackie, you know, the opportunities I didn't take up because I'm sure somebody else would do it better than you. Like, why would, why would it be you? And all this stuff. And I went, wow. And I started, this started to come out in the journal entries, how I had protected myself, lived in, in a highly vigilant manner, as in, you know, I was lovely and friendly, but there's a part of me that was very much protected. I would be very aware of my surroundings, where I would go, where I would place myself so that I wouldn't be putting myself in situations that I could not control. I talk about how the cleaning really, you know, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's so much about control, isn't it? It's so Keeping much Keeping everything where it should be, be and in place. Yes, my environment in that moment, I couldn't. My saying no to him, m- you know, me challenging that, saying no, didn't stop it. So I controlled my environment. So I was relentless in my cleaning. I was up, go, 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 go. I was constantly going and I, I, I ran my head. So come nighttime, I was so exhausted. I just sleep. And then up again, go, 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 go. So there's, there's you know, we, t- we talk about that. We talk about the feeling of shame. Oh, my. The feeling of shame, never good enough. Secretly hiding all my meaningful emotions for me. And being so protective of me. And I have to say, when I wrote this book, I wrote it for the reader. Because it is a topic that is not often discussed. And I am not alone. So I want this book to find the reader who has something similar happen to them in a medical setting, in a hospital setting. And I want them to read the book and take parts of that book that resonates for them because we each have our journey. I can't tell you how to live your life and you can't tell me. But by sharing my journey, I truly believe I'll inspire and empower others to do the same or to seek whatever assistance they need to seek. But they're not alone, Claire. And when we look at, at trauma like that, I mean, that was a that was an attack. That was a, 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 a sexual attack. Why do you think we blame ourselves instead of of the other person? Why do we allow that to happen? 
Why were you spending the time wondering why 15-year-old Jackie didn't speak up more when really it's always a power struggle? Somebody comes in dressed as a doctor, you question it, they say, no, this is what needs to happen. Obviously, you're going to go along with it and think later on, you know, why would we not feel sympathy for ourselves in that moment rather than blame? I truly believe maybe because it's a way we're conditioned in society. Do you know that it's always about what, what, what everybody else wants, what everybody else expects. Well, you know, do that for somebody else outside of ourselves. And there's not enough conversation and education around the fact that we need to get it right for ourselves. We need to explore and love ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves and we need to educate young people to say no and to be okay with saying no and not doubting themselves when they say no because if they say no, well, then maybe she won't like me or he won't like me or I won't get. And stand in that part of themselves that truly knows what's right for them. So I think it was it's a society thing that, you know, to question because I was so compliant with the silence. It was frightening. And what's more frightening is, is, is so many is silent. And breaking that silence, Claire, I cannot express to you the feeling of well-being that I have. The feeling of comfort that I have. I, before I came in here to studio today to you and to John, I was calm. I was not in a tizzy. I am comfortable talking to you. A year ago, I would be in tears. So I am evolving. I am healing. My voice is getting stronger. I visibly have changed. I am lighter than I was. Mm, by taking it on and, and, and facing it and healing it. Well, you're listening to Alive and Kicking on News Talk with Claire McKenna. And I'm talking to Jackie Taff, author of Inspire, Heal, Empower. It was such a long time afterwards, though, wasn't it? I mean, at the time, your husband knew about it. You said, who did you talk to about it at the time? Did you tell family what had happened? Did you tell other staff members at the hospital or did the silence begin then? No, the silence was there. The only person I would have said it to was my mum at the time. And I do truly believe it was society then. And I got the sense of feeling that somebody would have said to her because she did say to me on numerous occasions, you know, that down feeling you're having, that kind of depression, that dark place I went into for a while is a side effect of the anaesthetic. So we never had a conversation. And yet we had a wonderful relationship. Like she is, she was my best friend. But we never went there. So it never came up for conversation. And when I met my husband a few years later, I told my husband. And then it sat. And I told my best friend. And... It's like, what do you do with that? It's like, it's not a subject over a cup of coffee, you know, that you say, well, you know, this happened to me and people don't know what to do with that. And I got a wonderful opportunity in 2013 through the work I was doing. I, I ran a community centre for 25 years and we would offset staff to different community projects. And this project came in called Dignity for Patients. A fabulous lady came into me and she was explaining why they needed two members of staff. And as she explained why Dignity for Patients were set up to support and help people who had found themselves in, in a hospital or a medical setting, having something done to them that was not appropriate, she opened that window because I just found all of a sudden Jackie's coming from her mouth saying, well, you know, I had one of them 
And I remember that moment in the office. And I reached out weeks later to her and rang her and I said, can I talk to you? I need to speak to you. And I started then to be a client of Dignity for Patients because they do tremendous work and they're hugely under-resourced. And we need a body that clearly identifies where someone can go to when this happens. Because there's huge confusion when it happens. There's confusion because you're not assaulted, Claire, on the street and punched in the face. So now you know you're assaulted. I know you're assaulted. But when you're assaulted in a setting whereby the person presents themselves in a very respectful, trusting role, this is, this is a doctor, um, the confusion that, re- that comes upon me is incredible. And the layers it has taken and the years for me to unwrap it, give it back, as I say in the tool I talk about. And we need a clearly identifiable organisation fully resourced, that people will know if this happens to them and they leave whatever situation they find themselves in, that they can pick up the phone or email and email this an organisation and not be lost by looking because there's so many mm, little offsets. Mm. All doing incredible work, but they need to identify one and, and dignity for patients is it. Yeah, and it's great that you're highlighting them. I had never even heard of them and I had another author in Sinead Gleeson and her book Constellations is brilliant and she talks about spending a lot of time as a young person in and out of hospital and her story is different in that it was more that she felt she wasn't being listened to when it came to to her pain and you know it's that power thing isn't it when you don't have the power and they do because of their knowledge that sometimes things can can stay with you afterwards for a long time. So can you give some advice then to somebody who's, who's listening because as you say, you carried it with you, but we're still fully functioning. You were very much involved in your community. You had great work. You had a beautiful marriage and, and relationships and your daughter. So you were fully functioning, which is probably another reason sometimes we don't turn to that shadow that we may be carrying that is in some way still affecting us because everything else is still happening all around us. What is the help that people need or what is the first step you think people should take? Well, first, what we need to do is set up an organisation that clearly does that and Dignity for Patients does that. And we need to start to have open and transparent conversations around, you know, what to expect when we go into these settings. And I put the recommendations in the book that could further kind of check the little spot checks to tell someone you're going in. This is what's going to happen and this is what not, will not be asked of you. Now, I'm quite aware that chaperoning is more now. You you wouldn't find somebody that young in hospital on their own anymore. But there's still opportunity for that to happen. And 99.9% of people in hospitals do tremendous work. That's not what I'm saying. There's 1% there, though, that if they see an opportunity, this could occur. So we need to have a conversation around this. It needs to become common. It needs to allow people to come out and say, this happened to me and I'm okay with that. And that's why I talk about even relabeling the, the, the thing of survivor or victim. I choose to not be a victim. I don't like that word. It doesn't sit with me. It limits me. It makes me feel I'm kind of weak or something has been imposed on me and I can't. I want to be either a survivor or, as I say, I want to be a beacon of light. And I think when you tell people that someone you're a beacon of light, wow, isn't that far more empowering for them to find their voice and to come out? Not publicly. Not maybe like I'm doing. That's not what I'm suggesting. But you come out and you start to talk. Because this 
holding suppression of it down can destroy one's life. And I was lucky, and you've pointed that out, unfortunate, that I took a constructive set of things to cope. I I went on overdrive. When I think about it, Mm. I outran myself for 36 years. Like, I know when people meet me now who knew me maybe six years ago, they won't recognise me. They'll wonder where that Jackie is. And that wasn't Jackie being anybody else. That was Jackie just coping until I came to a place where I could share that. So reach out, talk, find that help. And there's nothing for anybody to be ashamed of because we were interfered with, we were interrupted. And all of that shame and you feel like dirty, for a better word, and you feel you don't matter and you feel your voice doesn't matter, will lift when you step into your own voice. I do believe that. Well, Jackie, you are a survivor. You are a beacon of light and it is a very important conversation and book. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me here today. The book is called Inspire, Heal, Empower, a true story of finding your voice, breaking the silence and trusting one's knowing. The author is Jackie Taft. Jackie, thank you so, so much. Oh, Claire, thank you so much. Thank you. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, John Fardy, and to Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week.